I knew I was a leader way back in the fourth grade when I gave James a test after showing him how to use the Dewey Decimal System. He was in the first grade. Even at the age of 10, I instinctively understood the importance of performance measures. James told his mom about me and reported me to the principal the next day, and I've never gotten over that. Forty years later, I'm still trying to figure out how to stretch employees, not get in trouble, determine the perfect performance measure, and how to manage bossy bosses. I wanted to do this podcast to place the human side of leadership right in the middle of the room. I am Dr. Don Emmerich, and this is Leadership Uncensored. Businesses must constantly transform and adapt to meet a variety of challenges, from changes in technology to the rise of new competitors, to a shift in laws, regulations, or even underlying economic trends. Failure to do so could lead to a loss of talent, stagnation, or even worse, failure. Change has a starting point and an end point, and right in the middle are our people. Business sectors are still responding to the prolonged COVID crisis, which has impacted and sometimes traumatized each member of our workforce in very unique ways. Countless stories of toxic work environments and people not being their best selves are surfacing in video blogs and HR complaints, just to name a few. Leading dynamic organizations through any type of change is difficult, and it's even harder when employees are experiencing high levels of emotional stress inside and outside of the workplace. Join me and several experts from the field as we explore change during this Leadership Uncensored podcast series. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining Leadership Uncensored. We are holding a five-series special podcast on change and change management. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We have today Dr. David Dull. He has a fabulous research that he has done in the provider healthcare sector. We've had some time to talk a little bit about it prior. I thought it was extremely intriguing and definitely wanted to bring him in for this series on change management. Let me read you Dr. Dull's bio. Dr. Dull is an anesthesiologist, certified physician executive, and certified executive coach. Following his anesthesia residency at the University of Iowa, David was in clinical practice for over 20 years. During that time, he held numerous physician leadership roles in regional and national healthcare systems. Additionally, he was the president of the Michigan Society of Anesthesiologists, served on the Michigan Board of Medicine, and worked as a CLER site reviewer for ACGME. For the past two decades, he has worked with physicians and healthcare leaders to help them solve their most pressing problems and achieve their goals. Using frameworks developed over the course of his career, David has enabled physician leaders to implement strategic initiatives, improve clinical quality, enhance team communication, transition from clinical care to executive roles, and advance their careers. David works with physicians labeled as disruptive to help them understand the impact of their behavior and modify their interactions, enabling these individuals to become constructive members of the healthcare team with resultant high performance in clinical and administrative arenas. He received his Master's of Medical Management from Carnegie Mellon University. He is founder of Probitas Healthcare Advisors, LLC, Encompass Executive Coaching. 
He is on the faculty of Georgetown University, where he teaches healthcare leadership. For the past year, David has been studying the impact of COVID on leadership competencies that are required of physician executives. And that's what you're going to talk about today, because you did a study, didn't you? We did. Um, I and two co-authors, uh, Lauren Nelson from uh, Provia Healthcare in Wisconsin and Karen Altucruz from the Marshfield Clinic and Health System. And Dr. Dahl, um, shall I call you David or doctor? How would you like? Dave is fine, please. Okay, well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I, I think that this is spectacular and I, it's just a great addition to this field of change management because I think that the listeners are going to be really surprised and maybe not so surprised by your findings. But before we head right into the next 30 minutes, that's an impressive bio, but I'm sure that there's something else about you that the listeners would like to know that's not in your bio. What can you tell us that most people don't know about, David? Well, thank you very much. You're very kind, Dawn. I guess uh, probably a couple things. Uh, one, I'm a wannabe rancher. I own a ranch in Colorado. And I also am a beekeeper. I have a series of hives at my house. And how long, oh my gosh, how long have you been doing beekeeping? Uh, we're going on our fifth year and it's a tough road in Colorado with the severe winters and the dry summers. But, uh, oh, wow. Wow. So are you, you're producing honey and keeping that? Are you selling it? Like what? So, so that's, what's tough about Colorado. It's so dry in the summer. Yes, we are producing honey, but we only get it um, enough to harvest about once every two years. That's really cool. Let's talk about the study. So tell, tell us, you know, tell us about the methodology. Tell us the research question. Give us the lowdown on this. Yes. Yeah, so I and my co-authors were intrigued and concerned about how the pandemic was affecting the leadership competencies that were required of physician executives specifically, but I think the study has broader implications for healthcare executives in general. And so we decided to embark upon a qualitative research study we studied fifth, I'm sorry, 16 physician executives from five different areas in the country. And the purpose of our study was to identify the challenges physician executives faced during the pandemic and to identify the leadership competencies that they leveraged as they led their organizations through the pandemic. So why? So, so why that research question? Was there something in your experience and all of the work that you've been doing in the healthcare field and the coach, the executive coaching that you've been doing, something's bubbled to the surface that said, hey, I need to study this? Yeah, as we were talking, you know, part of, I talk with a lot of physicians as a result of my organization and the work that I do. And what I heard was that they were they faced new challenges that their current, their previous leadership paradigm really didn't um, prepare them for, and that they were having to develop new competencies on the fly. And then, you know, you and I both, we all of your listeners heard about the trauma that the frontline staff were experiencing and the real struggles that healthcare organizations were um, 
experiencing as part of the pandemic. And so we really wanted to learn, you know, what were those new things that the physician leaders were forced to learn because of the pandemic and what separated or, or what allowed healthcare organizations to survive and hopefully some of them thrive mm-hmm. through this pandemic. And mm-hmm. so those were the curiosities that really led to the study. You know, so when I'm thinking back in my own experience um, working in a healthcare field, um, well, actually, before I ask that question, can you describe to me the, you know, you're an anesthesiologist by trade, but when you're, when you've done this study, um, who were the physicians? Who were the providers? Were they anesthesiologists or were they from different sectors? No, no, no. In fact, um, I'm not sure there were any anesthesiologists in the study. Um, What we did is we tried to leverage um, our networks to identify a broad array of physicians from a uh, diverse background. So there were two females in the group, the rest were males. Um, They were from five different regions in the country. We had CEOs, CMOs, uh, chief operating officers, chief quality officers, um, chief physician executives. So we tried to get a broad uh, diversity of physicians, both geographically and by title and by organization. Mm-hmm. You know, so what I was going to say is, you know, um, I'm a big fan of the of the book called Range. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that the premise of that book is about how um, it's very difficult for folks who are subject matter experts to transition into that more generalist role, right? Um, And we know that through a lot of our research and literature and just really kind of our experience, that transition from being a medical provider to a leader is a hard jump to begin with. Would you agree? Absolutely. Right. Like that's your consulting, right? Like you're trying to help with a lot of that um, and the executive coaching that you have. So I can only imagine um, you throw on the COVID and the crisis and the trauma and the emergency response. It's like fueling a flame already. What did you find from your study? Well, it was really uh, you hit on a a wonderful point, and that is and it's not just physicians, it's everyone in general. Right. Um, that in a crisis, you tend to revert back to what you're most comfortable with. And so for physicians who are in, ze- in executive roles, they want to revert back to being a clinician. But I think it applies to nurses and to executives as well. If you look, there was an article in the Harvard Business Review just a couple months ago about leading through change or leading through a crisis. And what they talked about is all leaders need to resist the, the temptation to move from executives to managers. What were some of, so this is qualitative. So I'm going to be, I, I really am very interested. Now, you, know, you and I have not talked deeply about the results. You kind of gave me high level of what you found because we really wanted to use it uh, this podcast is a way for you to talk about your findings, but what were some of the interesting qualitative findings from this? So I think one of the things that was really 
interesting and surprising in kind of an unusual way is that effective communication is a foundational competency. It, it was identified as one of the top three competencies pre-COVID, early in COVID, during the chronic phase of COVID, and leaders believe it is going to be foundational going forward after COVID. But effective communication evolved into something very different from the pre-COVID phase to COVID and probably into the future. Huh. You know, they talked about how pre-COVID communication was just essential. And they talked about having town hall meetings and doing walking rounds and one-on-one -on -one conversations with staff. And then they talked about how effective communication in COVID was absolutely critical, but it completely changed. No um, kidding. You know, no longer was it about town hall meetings. and Well, you couldn't, could you? You couldn't exactly. do town halls. Exactly. And so they talked about how effective communication became Zoom meetings and electronic or, uh, video communication, but then also how important it was to do those bullet-pointed daily written communications and mm -hmm. to make sure that there was a good cascade from the executive leaders down to the front line because the executive leaders couldn't communicate directly with the frontline staff easily any longer. That's right. You know, in the research it shows, in change management research, it shows that the two sectors within an organization or the two groups of people within an organization that present the most resistance is your mid-management and your frontline. And so if you know that going in and combine that with your communication strategy, you know then that if you are the executive and you're trying to communicate with the expectation that they, it gets pushed down, that doesn't work. So we know that, you know, there's a lot of evidence on that. But if you also know um, resistance and change you know, it get, it stops like that communication kind of stops right in the middle and it just never gets down to the very groups of people in an organization that needs it the most and the ones who are who are experiencing the trauma. So it's almost as if this, you know, and I don't know whether you found this, but just in my mind, I'm going, it's like this vicious cycle a little bit. So here are your frontline staff that are, ex, you know, experiencing just a tremendous amount of trauma. The executive is trying to communicate in a COVID environment. It's not getting pushed down to them. And so the absence, the perceived absence of communication could be facilitating even additional trauma, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Fascinating. Yeah. You know, the other thing that was really fascinating to us, and it was not directly related to the competencies, was the disaster management, lack of preparedness um, for mm. this kind of a disaster. And, you know, I, you and I haven't probably, I don't know about you, I hadn't done a lot of qualitative research. And that was, this was one of the really fun, um, unanticipated consequences of our research. What we found is that Organizations were well prepared for acute disasters, a tornado, um, 
you know, a hurricane, but they were totally ill prepared for a chronic disaster mm-hmm. and the skills and the design of a incident command center are completely different for a chronic disaster than they are for a acute disaster an acute disaster. And so one of the things we heard repeatedly is that they had to evolve continually their incident command center and move it from, to use a running analogy, from running a sprint to running a marathon. And all of the leaders talked about how going forward, they're going to change how they do disaster preparedness. What were some of the responses that surprised you, David? You know, you, you've, you've definitely, and I love qualitative. In fact, I just did a, a webinar the other day um, that all of my change management efforts always include both a qualitative and a quantitative approach, always. And um, in fact, in some of the case studies that I've done, that if I had just done quantitative, I would have missed a ton of information. And, um, and so I always encourage people to do it. And so this is why I was so fascinated with your study. What were, you know, was there this one finding or a quote that you can provide from the qualitative gathering um, that just really resonated with you? You know, I think the one that really resonated was one of the um, chief executive officers officers said to me, physician leaders need to be taught that it's not always admirable to run to the fire. (laughs) And that's what they're trained to do, aren't they? Exactly. And that's exactly what he said. He said, we're trained to run toward the fire and, you know, kind of associated with that quote was another one that says you can't give what you don't have. And so I think the idea that for physician leaders and for healthcare leaders in general, in a chronic crisis, in a chronic disaster, it's really important to take time for self-help. Self-help. You know, some of the leaders talked about how they had to get away for just 10 or 15 or 20 minutes each day to recharge so that they could then be giving to their staff and could seek to meet the needs of their staff. What were some of you, you mentioned earlier about, you know, some of the traumatic experiences of staff. Were there any examples or anything that kind of surfaced or came out of your data collection? Any examples of that trauma? So we didn't specifically ask about the trauma of staff, you know, tell us about. But I will tell you, um, there were some pretty moving stories of trauma to the executive leadership team. just by happenstance, one of the physicians that I interviewed, uh, I, I called him the very day that the initial prioritization for vaccines came out at his organization. And he was nearly in tears telling me how he had had physician friends of his call that he knew was were at risk for COVID 
asking to be prioritized for the vaccine and he had to turn them down, mm. um, knowing that that decision um, was potentially a fatal decision for them. Um, he was incredibly traumatized by that expectation of him as a leader. You know, I think that there's, wow, thank you for sharing that. Um, It's interesting, like you did not have a very specific question on that, but it came out in your conversations, right? And so that's just just shows you just the prevalence and just how much um, anxiety and stress and, and trauma that is really happening across vertically and horizontally. And I would even challenge to say in every organization, every organization. That has implications, David, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, You know, and it's not only within the organization, but external forces on the organization are causing trauma as well. One of the the, uh, physician executives I talked with talked about the trauma that he experienced because of the politicalization of COVID and the vaccine requirements and how um, trying to lead his organization and the community, he had really been targeted um, by the politics of COVID and how uh, disillusioning that was for him. Yeah, that... um... That's just so incredibly unfortunate. And it's, an, it's a space that most, most of us, we don't know how to operate in because we've never been there before, right? Yeah. So you, it's just exactly. all of these multi-layer of things. You know, so, what, so let's talk a little bit more about the implications. Um, I, so, so what is the so what of this? You walk away from this, you have this, you have the findings. What are you gonna do with them? What, what's the so what? So I think the so what is, number one, um, kind of shame on us. We had H1N1 flu, which had the potential to be a pandemic. We had SARS, which had the potential to be a pandemic. And we did not really prepare for this kind of disaster. And so one of the so what's is going forward. And I heard that there was a commitment in the organizations I talked with for this. But going forward, we need to change how we prepare for disasters. We need to plan for a disaster that's gonna be a year, it's gonna be 18 months. And we need to think about what skill sets do we need in the incident command center? What changes do we need to make in the organization uh, to be effective. And one of the changes that came through loud and clear is the organizations that were successful in managing COVID had spent significant time learning how to build effective teams. And so um, changing the structure of the Incident Command Center, putting a focus on building teams is absolutely critical for the future. I think the second so what is we need to change how we train leaders. We need to change the competencies that we recruit for in leaders, and we need to increase the pipeline of leaders. Uh, Over and over, the organizations talked about uh, COVID, quote, uncovering hidden talent in their organizations, unquote, and the lack of available 
developed leaders to step up in a time of crisis and provide the leadership that the organization needed? That is, yes, I I can. And actually, and you know, and the reason I'm shaking my head on this, because I feel like that is something that can be transferable and generalizable even beyond the healthcare sector. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they repeatedly, they talked about, uh, it was not the formal leaders that stepped up and filled the gap. It was the informal leaders that in that in many cases, the organization didn't know existed until the pandemic came along. And again, shame on us that we hadn't previously identified those leaders. You know, and I, I, I have to also say, you know, just having spent just a significant number of years in the public health system. And, and that's where my mind was going. I was listening to you and I'm going, gosh, that sounds like the public health system. And, you know, one of the things that I would always hear, and there's truth to it, is, you know, of course, public health has been divested. It has been, you know, stripped of all kinds of funding. And um, so the workforce, we have, you know, poor workforce. And, and while I do agree that that's true, um, I tended to be the only one beating the drum that said, but we haven't developed non-subject matter experts who can lead organizations. And I think that's what I'm hearing from you as well. So when we think about some of the deficits in public health, it's actually going back into undergrad and graduate school. Like, where are our leaders? Let's not just create epidemiologists. We need to create strong administrators and leaders as well. Um, did any of when you talk about developing that workforce, would you not agree that it actually needs to start in med school? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, again, there's a Harvard Business Review article on how physicians are all viewed as leaders. They need to be trained as leaders. And you know that's one of the things I really like about. Uh, Georgetown, the leadership course that I teach is actually in a master's for um, healthcare quality and patient safety. Mm-hmm. And so um, taking individuals at the master's level, at the undergrad level, at the medical school level, and really teaching them leadership competencies. The other thing that rang through loud and clear is teaching leadership development has to move beyond knowledge acquisition. It has to move to skills development. And that happens through progressive leadership opportunities, mentorship, and coaching. Absolutely. I would totally agree with that as well. Um, Wow. um, You know, we're coming down. I knew we we could talk about this for another hour. Um, cause I was getting like really excited about it. Um, what, what summary, what one takeaway, if you had to summarize your study, what's that one takeaway that you'd want our listeners, um, to go back to maybe their workplace or get on a zoom and say, Hey, I listened to this podcast and this is what happened. What would that be? So I think the takeaway is the pandemic has forever 
change the competencies required of leaders in general and physician leaders in particular, and that uh, there needs to be an increased emphasis on leadership development at all levels of the organization. Excellent. Is there anything else that we might have missed during this time that you think is really important that our listeners should know about? Um, you know, yeah, there's tons of stuff. We could talk <laughs> about this for another hour at least. Um, you know, a lot of the leaders in the healthcare organizations we talked about did talk um, and lament the fact that this was really a public health crisis and that many of the difficulties we were experiencing in the midst of this crisis was a result of divesting of public health resources over the last several decades. Well, I can tell you firsthand that that is true. Um, I can also tell you firsthand what is also true is that many public health directors are two, three, four layers down deep into their local government structure. And oftentimes they don't even have the decision-making authority or capacity um, to make some of those decisions. So lots to learn across the system around leadership and COVID and change, no question. David, this was fascinating. Where can people find more information, not only about you, your work, but about this study? Great. So um, people can follow me on LinkedIn, um, or they can go to my website, which is compasseexecutivecoaching.com. And if they leave me their email address, I will be happy to send them a uh, the white paper, and they can follow me there. Um, my email address is there, as is my telephone number. And I'd love to talk with folks about this study or about leadership in general um, in healthcare. David, thank you so much for joining me for this special series on change. Um, this is a wonderful contribution to the literature, to the topic. And um, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. It's been a pleasure to be here and it's been a lot of fun to talk with you, Don. Thank you. Thank you.